Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Daniel will be giving our message this morning. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked for only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we uh, thank you and praise you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray for Daniel this morning, Lord, that you would bless him that you would bless him as he uh, declares the word to us. May you anoint him, Father. Holy Spirit, come upon us and give us open hearts to hear from you what you want to speak to us. And bless your servant Daniel as he proclaims it. Guide him and lead him and use him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Oh, I can take this off. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, I'm very focused on this. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Kelly told us, this Sunday marks the first day of Advent. And this year, our Advent sermon series will be on an interesting subject, the parables of the kingdom of heaven. Because Advent means that the kingdom of heaven is coming. Advent is a term that means coming or arrival. And the traditional purpose of Advent was not just looking back on how Jesus came, but looking forward and preparing ourselves for when Jesus would come again. And when Jesus came, he gave us a taste of heaven, right? He healed the sick, raised the dead, fed the multitudes, taught grace and truth and God's love. But when he comes again, 
He will come bringing the whole kingdom of heaven in its fullness, and it will overcome all the kingdoms of the earth, but it will not be like the kingdoms of the earth. It's not just a changing of the guard. It's a whole different kind of kingdom. And so Jesus tries to explain to us what this kingdom of heaven will be, and he does so through parables. So each week we're going to look at a different parable of the kingdom of heaven from Matthew. And parables will help us see what heaven is like so that we can live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. Um, for the last uh, three years or so, uh, Marie and I have been renting in Newton. It's been a wonderful, wonderful home, but it was just a little too small for us. There were three bedrooms and we had me and Marie, we had our 12-year-old girl, we had our, our housemate Ritu, and we had Jonathan and Caleb. And so uh, with only three bedrooms, you know, we had to kind of mix things up. We put Jonathan in a rolling crib, and, uh, and anytime he needed a nap, we'd just roll him into whatever room was unoccupied, and he would sleep there. Uh, and it, it was, <laughs> it worked, it was a little tight, but it, it you know, we, we, could, we could handle it. Um, and, uh, and this November, we finally moved into a home of our own uh, here in Newton. And we're just so grateful, so amazed. Um, but, you know, moving in, it was chaos. And Jonathan was completely disoriented. He's just, you know, walking through the halls, just kind of wailing and wailing. Uh, and it really hit me at one moment when he looked at me and he said, Mima, Mima, which is his name for his sister. And I said, Jonathan, she's in her bedroom. Just go knock on the door. And his face has this look of incredulity on it, as if to say, her room is in a whole different house. How can I possibly find where she is when I don't even know how to get home? And I thought, oh, what have I been doing? So. Me and Marie took him by the hand and we led him from room to room and said, this is the living room, Jonathan. This is the dining room. This is your sister's room. And this is your room. And when he saw his room, his eyes lit up and his mouth opened and you could just see this joy because he had his own room. He fit in to the house for the first time. And I think this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We're so used to the kingdoms of earth, the way broken human systems and governments and cultures and relationships work, that when we experience the kingdom of heaven, we're just disoriented. We don't know how to make sense of it. The way that God operates and the way he invites us to behave is just different. But if you stay long enough with the kingdom of heaven, you'll see that there's a place for you, that it fits you in a way the kingdoms of, of earth never did. This parable of the kingdom of heaven that Garrett read for us has a disorienting effect on many people who read it. I, for one, have always been bothered uh, since I was a little kid when I read this parable, because it's just not fair, right? 
It's just not fair that the workers who worked all day get the same pay as the workers who worked one hour. It just goes against our sensibilities of fairness. And you know, we get that this parable is showing that God is gracious, he's generous to people who don't deserve it, but it just still doesn't seem right, you know? I mean, for one thing, you know, giving everyone the same thing, no matter how much they work, just sounds kind of like communism, right? <laughs> and I mean, communism has been really bad. You know, every time the dream of communism has been put into practice, it's produced totalitarian regimes, mass executions, and economic devastation. So when the landowner is doing something that smells vaguely like communism, just doesn't feel right. Um, and besides that, it's just bad business, right? Paying your employees the same amount, no matter how much they work, is just not a way to run a successful business. You know, that just incentivizes laziness, right? And since we all know that in the parable, the landowner represents God, it just seems like God's bad at business. And you know, who are we to think that we could tell the creator of the universe, hey, you, do, you just don't know how to run a good business here. You know, so, so it just feels theologically problematic. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and meanwhile, we know that somehow this parable is supposed to be challenging us. <laughs> so what do we do with that? Um, and our, our response to this discomfort we're feeling should not be, you know, well, I surrender my discomfort and embrace communism. Or, or uh, well, God, that's how you run a business, so I'll just run my business into the ground, you know. No, it's, we got to dig deeper into the parable and ask, am I reading this right? Have I truly understood what this parable is teaching? Or could the story be saying something different from what I think it's saying? So let's just take a closer look here. The parable goes like this. A landowner goes to the market and he hires day laborers to work in his vineyard. And this is a normal practice in many nations and societies and cultures around the world. In fact, I've been told that if you go to Home Depot in Watertown at 6 a.m., you will see people on the curb ready to get hired for work that day. And contractors will drive by and say, hey, I need two people to do tile. I need someone to drywall. I need a few people uh, to plaster and they'll just get workers into their car and drive to the work site and get to work. So this is a very common practice. Um, and this landowner goes and, and, and gets some workers at uh, 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, and they agree on a denarius, which is a, the standard wage of a day laborer. So it's a decent pay, it's good money. Um, but the landowner gets back to the vineyard and realizes there's way more work that needs to be done. Um, and he doesn't have enough hands. So he goes back to the market at, at nine and gets more workers. Um, and then, and he says, I'll pay you whatever's right. But then he gets back and there's still not enough workers. Maybe the work is just taking too long or there's just more than they expected. People are going slow, whatever it is. He says, okay, well, I gotta go back. So he goes back at 12 and at three, and finally at 5 p.m. when there's only one hour of work left in the day, he goes back to get more workers. Um, and you know, going back for workers isn't that unusual, um, but going back at 5 p.m. and seeing people still there waiting for work, that is surprising. He's surprised and he says, what are you still doing here to these 5 p.m. workers? 
And they say, well, no one has hired us. And that's the only explanation we have in the parable for why they're still there, that no one has hired them, whether it's because the landowners weren't hiring uh, extra workers, or maybe these guys just looked less able-bodied than the other people that were at the marketplace, um, uh, or they were just unlucky, whatever it is, they weren't able to find work until now. So, so far in the parable, nothing is shocking, but things are about to get interesting. The landowner, you know, gets to the end of the day, he tells his foreman, have everyone line up to get paid, but I want the 5 p.m. crew to get in line first, and then you'll go all the way back to the people who are hired last, or hired, hired first, last in line. Okay. So the 5 p.m. crew comes up, and when they get paid, they get paid a whole denarius. And so the 6 a.m. crew is like, ooh, wow, if they got a whole denarius, what are we going to get? And finally, they get up to the front of the line, and they get just a denarius. And then they start to grumble. They say, look, those guys only worked for one hour, and we worked all day. You know, we were under the beating sun. We had the toughest work, and you made them equal to us. That's not fair. But the landowner says, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work? for a denarius, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Can I do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And now this is the moment where many of us feel disoriented by the parable because many of us identify with the 6 a.m. crew. We're saying this isn't fair. When the parable is clearly rebuking the 6 a.m. crew. <laughs> so it makes us uncomfortable when we're identifying with the 6 a.m. folks who are being accused of envy, of being against generosity. And we think it's unfair, but the landowner representing God says explicitly, I haven't been unfair to you. So here's the question. Has the landowner been fair? Has he been fair? And here, Jesus's original audience might actually say it is fair because they know something that we've overlooked. And that is that the wage is a denarius, which is a good wage. It's an appropriate wage, nothing to complain about. It's a standard wage of a day laborer. It's something they can live on, something they could feed their family on. This is a respectable wage. So they were compensated fairly. And what the landowner's generosity to others reveals is the greed in their own hearts. They wanted more than the good wage they got. And so they grumble. And grumbling, let me tell you, grumbling is a bad word in scripture. It's got this huge theological baggage to it because when God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt way back in Exodus and brought them into the desert on the way to the promised land, he's taking care of Israel day after day. What do they do? They grumble. And it's the exact same word in our text, going back between those passages. So the same ingratitude that Israel showed to God for rescuing them is what the 6 a.m. crew is doing. 
And actually, the 6 a.m. crew should have been thankful for the work. You know, they woke up that morning unemployed. They didn't know what they were going to do that day. They didn't know how they were going to make a living that day. And they got work, and work has dignity. They got to work in a vineyard, accomplishing something. And they had the needs of them and their families provided for. So they have to agree that they were paid fairly. But they think it's just not fair that others who worked less got paid the same as them. Which shows that they haven't considered the plight of the 5 p.m. crew. Because what would happen if the 5 p.m. crew got paid what they deserved? Not a denarius, but it's a 12-hour workday here, so one-twelfth of a denarius. What would the 5 p.m. crew uh, do? Would they have enough to live on? Would they have enough to feed their families with? Not even close. So you see, the, landlord, the landowner's generosity is that he gives all the workers what they need to live another day. The landowner doesn't give them what they deserve. He gives them what they need. And that's a picture of the grace of God, giving us what we need. But maybe you'd say, well, if I could get the same amount of money by working just one hour, that's what I'd do. I wouldn't work all day. And I'm sure the 6 a.m. crew felt the same way. You know, I wish I'd only worked for the last hour. <laughs> but that just shows that they failed to empathize with the 5 p.m. crew. Because, I mean, did the 5 p.m. crew, you know, imagine they wake up that morning and they just think, ah, I'm gonna sleep in this morning because I don't have to work till 5 p.m. and I'm gonna get my Daenerys. I'm gonna take a nice big warm bath and eat a huge breakfast because I got the whole day before I have to go into work. No, that's not what happened. They woke up and went to the market just like everybody else, looking for work and not getting it. And so instead they have to stay in the market all day with his anxiety nodding up their guts as they wonder, you know, Am I going to make anything today? Am I going to have to go home to my family with nothing to offer? Um, and they get to that point where, where they're desperate enough that when the landowner comes and says, come work for an hour, I'll give you whatever is right. But they're like, I mean, I don't even have a, a, an agreed wage here, but I'll take it because I need, I'll take anything at this point. Okay. So is the 5 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. cruise experience really so enviable that's, you know that's not a very fun day until the very end when you have the the joyful experience of of the denarius i just want you to see that the parable is is not encouraging uh laziness or a poor work ethic because no one's lazy in the parable and because none of the none of the workers none of them know what they're going to get paid until the very end so the landowner's generosity is a surprise. And, and you know, while we're at it, I'd just like to point out that in the world of business, uh, businesses do give like signing bonuses. You know, they give surprise gifts and stuff. 
So maybe this isn't uh, bad business on the part of the landowner, you know? There's, there's some good things here, you know? It can, maybe uh, the denarius earns loyalty of the workers, gives him a competitive advantage with other landowners. Uh, it means his workers will be well-fed and able to work hard again the next day, you know? There's all kinds of good reasons to do this. Um, but of course, you know, clearly in the passage, the landowner is giving the denarius out of generosity not business strategy. I'm just saying, you know, you can do, uh, be good at business and be generous at the same time, right? Um, but anyway, I digress. So how do we interpret this parable? <clears throat> so he here's my take on it. This parable is about uh, the whole of your human life lived in a day, okay? And the vineyard is when you're invited to come live in God's kingdom, in God's community. It's about when you turn to God, um, receive Jesus as savior and start serving God in, in his kingdom work. And so there's some people like the 6 a.m. crew who were born in church, who've been you know, raised singing these songs and hearing about God their whole lives. They can't remember a time that they didn't know Jesus. And then there's other people who don't turn to God until the very end, right? They're like the 5 p.m. crew. And then there's all kinds of people in the middle, you know, and we have people like that all, all, all over in our church, you know, people who came to faith, you know, as, as, as youngins, people who came to faith as teenagers or in college or, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way near to the end, you know? And, uh, and so each of them come to faith at different times, and yet, they all receive a denarius. And the denarius, which is the wage of life, I think it's a metaphor for eternal life. So no matter when you come to faith, we all get this gift of eternal life from God. Um, and then uh, <laughs> the surprising thing is that Jesus says, the meaning of the parable is that the first will be last and the last will be first, which means that if you thought that like the 6 a.m. crew, whoever followed God starting at the beginning of their lives, served God their whole lives, that they're gonna be uh, more rewarded and more praised than people who started following him later in life, uh, you just don't know that. Um, and in fact, what the parable reveals is some of those folks on the 6 a.m. crew the parable reveals that their hearts are ungrateful. They're ungenerous. In fact, the 6 a.m. folks who've been serving God their whole lives are so far away from the heart of God. And that's where the parable cuts me to the heart because I realize I lack the generous heart of God. And you know, the, the whole reason Jesus told this parable is because in the last chapter, Peter said, uh, you know, Jesus, we've sacrificed a lot to follow you. So what's in it for us? You know, what do we get when we win? <laughs> and, and Jesus said, well, Peter, you know, you are going to be rewarded greatly. But many who think they're going to be first are going to be last. 
and many who think they're going to be last are going to be first. And I just want to warn you that this kind of thinking about what's in it for me can progress towards this ungratefulness and ungenerosity that takes you so far away from God. And I'll explain it to you in this parable. So what the parable does is it teaches us two things. It teaches us about the heart of God, the graciousness of God to all who turn to him. And it also brings to the surface the ingratitude and lack of generosity in our own hearts. And then it presents us with an invitation to be more like our Heavenly Father. So how can we come to have a generous heart like God's? Well, it's not in the parable, but I have four things that you might try. You can take them or leave them. Um, four ways to come to have that generous heart like God's. And they are to receive God's generosity, celebrate it, <clears throat> grow it and do it. Receive it, celebrate it, grow it and do it. So receive it. Receive God's grace for you. Because you realize, you know, that when you turned to him, he gave you eternal life, not because you deserved it, but because Jesus laid his life down for you because he loved you that much. God gives you the generous gift of eternal life. And second, celebrate it. And that's what Thanksgiving was all about, right? Thanking God for all the good things he's given us. Uh, and, you know, I think that we should do Thanksgiving more often. I like turkey. I think, you know, I think maybe three to four times a year is a good amount for Thanksgiving. Um, but, you know, if you want to do something different than turkey, that's okay. The main thing is we should, be, we should be practicing Thanksgiving more, right? Whether in big ways or in, or in little ways. Um, as we celebrate uh, with Thanksgiving, it grows that generosity in us as we see God's generosity. Um, and third, we grow it. And, and, you know, you can grow it by putting yourself in touch with other people's hardships and difficulties and really growing that empathy. Um, some, sometimes maybe it's, it's reading good fiction can help grow that empathy, putting yourself in other people's shoes. Um, and sometimes it's just being around empathetic people. Um, I used to work as a missionary for InterVarsity and I had to raise my own support. Um, and uh, at the beginning of my, uh, before I was able to get on campus, uh, I met with an elderly couple, Oscar and Ida Holiday, and, and they were amazing, <laughs> amazing people, so kind, still hardworking. Uh, Oscar had been a fireman his whole life. They'd retired, and now they like ran off. Their, their house was a little farm. They had chickens and a cow and a couple horses. And I mean, they just worked nonstop. And I'm sitting down at the dining room table with them about to share about my ministry and why this is worth, you know, giving their money to. 
And, uh, and I, I made it one sentence in, just one sentence. And Ida stops me and says, wait, did you just say that most of the college students on that campus don't know Jesus? And I said, uh, yeah. And she said, and how many people did you say were in the Christian group? I said, like, about 20. And right then and there, her eyes just filled with tears. And she said, Oscar, we've got to help them. I thought, oh my goodness, they understand my vision better than I do. <laughs> easiest, easiest meeting asking for money I've ever had. But that's the kind of empathy that God invites us to, right? Um, and, and the last way to grow this generosity, um, to develop it, is just to do it. Sometimes even when you don't feel like it, practicing it can grow that generosity inside you. Um, that act of generosity grows that feeling in your heart. Um, and, you know, like the landowner who surprises those in need with an act of generosity, we can practice that surprising generosity too. You can think about how you can do it at work, how you can do it at home, how you can do it in our larger community. One of the ways I've seen surprising generosity displayed in our church um, is how different families have opened their homes for foster care in our midst. And other families have rallied around them as support teams, providing meals and babysitting and encouragement and prayer. It's just been incredible. Um, and as, as Marie and I have done our, our foster care journey, we've just been so amazed at the support uh, that's come around us um, and enabled us to keep doing it. Um, this past week, Wednesday, our 12-year-old, who's been with us, I didn't know this would hit me so hard. Um, sorry. <clears throat> well, our 12-year-old, who's been with us since last Christmas, got to be reunited with their mom. And it is a, it's a surprising generosity when you take a child into your home and love them as your own for a season and let them go. And, uh, you know, she can visit us anytime. She'll always have a place in our home if she ever needs it again. Um, we're so thankful for all of you. So, so many of you guys have played a role in that journey. Uh, and there are so many ways for us to show a surprising generosity that reflects in a small broken way the surprising generosity of God. Because that's what's at the heart of our faith, isn't it? That God has been generous toward us whether we deserved it or not, that God has been loving and generous 
to the grateful and the ungrateful alike. That's how good our God is. Let's pray. God, oh Lord Jesus, we know that we aren't always the most generous of people or the most grateful. But Lord, you didn't let that stop you from showing us a generosity beyond what we ever imagined. Help us remember again the remarkable gift of eternal life that you've given us through Jesus. And Lord, as we look to your second coming, where all things will be made right, as your kingdom is fully established over the earth, enable us today to be forerunners of your kingdom, people who have received your surprising generosity, and people who have become surprisingly generous because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.